Welcome to Essex Church on this beautiful, sunny morning. Essex Church, where this gathered community of Kensington Unitarians meets for worship each week. This community is created by all those who walk through our doors, and we especially welcome visitors. So do stay if you can after the service for a cup of tea or coffee, and there's a point in the service towards the end where we invite visitors to say hello, introduce yourselves if you'd like to. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome our guest today, Jeannie Foster, a one-time Unitarian Universalist minister from the States, professor of English literature and creative writing, a published poet. Jeannie, thanks for being here today and for being willing to talk to us about the spiritual insights of uh, poet T.S. Eliot. So let's take a moment now to calm and centre ourselves to notice that we are here today, at this moment, in this place together. We've arrived here with our own concerns, our own particular version of the human life story, and together we create a community of fellow travellers, seekers, explorers of the spirit. May we each this morning find something of that which we are most in need. May the burdened find their load lightened and the weary find rest. May the troubled know some peace and may the joyful find ways to share their happiness with others. May our spirits be inspired and uplifted and may the divine light that shines throughout our universe shine now upon us and upon this place and may our worship here be illuminated by all that is great and good. And I'm lighting our chalice this morning, the symbol of our worldwide liberal community. In celebration of the fact that all around the world Chalices, simple chalice flames like this are being lit to represent spiritual freedoms. I give thanks for those freedoms. Your first taste for today of T.S. Eliot. Although, of course, the, uh, the book group this week did Old Possum's Book of uh, Practical Cats. <laughs> this is slightly more esoteric. And uh, some of the words are on uh, the little printed sheet that you've got. From the four quartets. Time present and time past are both perhaps present in time future, and time future contained in time past. If all time is eternally present, all time is unredeemable. What might have been is an abstraction, remaining a perpetual possibility only in a world of speculation. What might have been and what has been point to one end, which is always present. At the still point of the turning world, neither flesh nor fleshless, neither from nor towards, at the still point, there the dance is, but neither arrest nor movement, and do not call it fixity, where past and future are gathered. 
neither movement from nor towards, neither ascent nor decline, except for the point, the still point, there would be no dance, and there is only the dance. Time past and time future allow but a little consciousness. To be conscious is not to be in time. But only in time can the moment in the rose garden, the moment in the arbor where the rain beat, the moment in the drafty church at smoke fall, be remembered, involved with past and future. Only through time, time is conquered. Midwinter spring is its own season, sempiternal though sodden towards sundown, suspended in time between pole and tropic. When the short day is brightest with frost and fire, the brief sun flames the ice on pond and ditches in windless cold that is the heart's heat. Between melting and freezing, the soul's sap quivers. This is the springtime, but not in time's covenant. If you came this way, taking any route, starting from anywhere, at any time or at any season, it would always be the same. You would have to put off sense and notion. You are not here to verify, instruct yourself, or inform curiosity, or carry report. You are here to kneel where prayer has been valid. And prayer is more than an order of words, the conscious occupation of the praying mind, or the sound of the voice praying. And what the dead had no speech for when living, they can tell you being dead. The communication of the dead is tongued with fire beyond the language of the living. Here, the intersection of the timeless moment is England, and nowhere, never, and always. Between melting and freezing, the soul's sap quivers. T.S. Eliot says, the dumb spirit stirs. Uh, But this is the springtime that is not in time's covenant. And, and seeing Sarah today made me feel like she's the springtime and I'm the winter. She's the melting and I'm the freezing and all my life. <laughs> what does it mean to be between melting and freezing? Um, I thought about it a lot over the past several years. Uh, but I had read the four quartets many times before ever focusing on that particular phrase, between melting and freezing, the soul sat quivered. And then, I guess based on some recent experience, when I read the four quartets again, that phrase really stood out for me and seemed to touch 
something in my own experience. And, but then when I try to get back to it, I often find it hard to do. So in a way, what I'm going to be doing today in this address is trying to get back to sort of the quick of that phrase for me, uh, the moment between melting and freezing. Well, one thing seems to, uh, clear. It's an in-between state or condition. See, a time that, where things are neither frozen nor completely liquid. And being in between is a time of transition, a time of flow rather than stasis. In fact, you might argue that being between melting and freezing is the most between of betweens because Eliot chose to use the gerund form of the verbs, the ing form, between melting and freezing, not between melted and frozen. So it's a time or a state or a condition of flow between two times or states or conditions of flow. Could it be that Eliot is pointing to that, that very moment, that instant when melting shifts over into freezing and freezing into melting? A moment as elusive as uh, the poet, American poet Anne Sexton would say, as elusive as, when, as the very moment when an awful headache goes away. At the close of that same quartet, Eliot tells us that here is the intersection of the timeless moment. Here, he continues, and nowhere, never and always. And in another place in the quartets, he talks about the point of intersection of the timeless with time. The intersection of the timeless with time. I think maybe Eliot is saying that the between is the intersection. That moment between melting and freezing is the point of intersection of the timeless with time. And being in between, and it could be any in between, any moment of flow or transition, is being at the point of intersection. So I'm still trying to get back to the sort of instantaneous quick of the connection between melting and freezing and me. Uh, so let me take it in a more personal angle. Uh, I was talking with a student not very long ago, an adult student, and she had had to be absent from class because of some pretty serious difficulties with her college-aged son. And you can imagine them, drugs, alcohol, and I, I don't know what else. But in addition, she was working full-time, going to school three nights a week, and she had had to turn in her final paper for me. So she came to me and she said she was in a time of crisis. It was one thing after another. And so I shared with her some of my own reflections since it had been a difficult year for me too. I had just then lost my mother unexpectedly. I was worried about my father being alone for, and for, after being with her for so many years. And then, sort of like the final straw, uh, my cat was diagnosed with possibly a malignant tumor. And I'm a very much a cat person. So it turned out to, although it did turn out to be benign to my relief, but I could really identify with a student because I'd had to miss class unexpectedly too. The, and sharing this reflection with her was a moment of awakening for me. And that awakening went something like this. 
For a long time, I've longed for an extended space, an expansive time, in which there would be nothing to worry about. Uh, Everything would be all right, and I would be able to enjoy life, to do the things I really want to do. I'd be able to write poetry. Um, I was telling a friend who recently turned 80 that I feel like I am being surrounded by old and dying creatures, and I'm responsible for them. And he replied, you know, Jeannie, it only gets worse as you get older. So shortly after that, it it occurred to me that I would never have this extended period of time, this respite I longed for. There would always be something to worry about. And if enjoying life and writing poetry depended on, you know, finding this extended period, I probably would never get it. And I think it occurred to me as I was driving home from with the cat after getting this lab report that, or I, I guess the lab report was going to be coming in the next day, and I was going to find out if the cat had this benign tumor. And so then it occurred to me as I was driving home that uh, maybe I might get an extended period of time like that, but that would be an extraordinary gift, and that really what I had were these brief moments, such as being between the cat vet, the cat vet visit, visit in the next day, the lab report, that, this, that these very brief respites, if I could just not worry, uh, if I could not live in past or future, these brief respites could be quite restorative. So I shared this reflection with my student, and, and my student, with a remarkable amount of good nature and courage, said, yeah, I know, my pastor says you're either coming out of a crisis, going into a crisis, or in a crisis. Yes, I I thought intuitively, that's like being between melting and freezing all the time. The pastor knows, so does my student, that we won't get that long for respite. And that all all there is are these short intervals suspended between pole and tropic, as Eliot says, melting and freezing, waking and sleeping, here and nowhere, never and always. We live in the between in these moments of intersection. A Bay Area psychotherapist and Zen master, John Tarrant, writes, this is not because there's some malign energy in the universe. It's more a rule of nature. Darkness follows light.